Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now on scene with the LEO Sideshow, the one and only podcast that opens the discussions about what police do and why they do it. We are bringing a fresh new look on the relationship between the police and the public. Now for the part in our show where we must give you a legal disclaimer. Spoiler alert, people in the United States sue other people for just about anything. So therefore, the topics being discussed in the LEO Sideshow are merely the opinions of the hosts and their guests. These topics and discussions are in no way intended to be legal advice for your specific area or incident. Please consult with your local attorney or your local district attorney's office or your local police department for your specific laws and ordinances in your jurisdiction. Welcome back to the LEO Sideshow. I am Frank. I'm here with Pat. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome. You know, you know the song I'm talking about? Yes, but I, I think it's like your partner said the other night. It, just let them do that singing. Let them sing it. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually from an original. Isn't it like some old show? But then remember Mace, the rapper, did a remix. It's not. It's technically M-A dollar sign E. Okay, so... Mace. And M- Mace, yes. Anyway, hello. Welcome back to the Elio Sideshow. And we're doing, what, what are we doing today, Frank? We're doing a, this uh, is, kind of an intro to an interview, correct? Yeah. We're, so we already had talked to a special guest, Zeke, who, who you will hear from later on in the episode. But uh, we kept it all business with Zeke. So we, all business. we didn't even get to do a police word of the day, or we didn't get yeah. to do a, word, uh, a case study of the week. So. We're coming yeah. back to you, just uh, Pat and I, to give you guys that stuff so we don't leave you hanging. Yeah, and if you remember from the last episode, I know it was a little bit of a lot of me talking, but it's kind of give you some Boring. background on what bail is. <laughs> Boring, yeah. I found it informative. <laughs> I, hey, you heard me. If anybody listened to the episode, I'm I am sitting there and I, and I, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. So I'm learning stuff too. Right, right. And yeah, the big thing we harp on is when people don't understand bail, it's that there are a lot of factors that go into setting bail and the the weight lies on the judge to go through all those factors and set a bail that, as Frank discussed, was not cruel and unusual punishment or excessive bail on, under the Eighth Amendment. So today we actually have two special words okay you can't see me putting my two fingers up but two special words the first word of the day is recognizance r-e-c-o-g-n-i-z-a-n-c-e and it is a noun and it is a bond by which a person undertakes before court or magistrate to observe some condition especially to appear when summoned okay and when we use that we use that in the acronym or initialism of ror what is it it is an acronym technically because you could say the roar Okay, roar. But nobody ever roar. uses it. So, but but they refer to it as ROR bail, which means release on your own recognizance, which basically says, "Hey, I believe that you're going to show up, and you need to show up for court at future hearings. 
and your bail is basically to show up. Okay. See, there's no other strings attached. This is another one of those things that I've been in, in this job for 11 years and I've heard about ROR or release on your own recognizance, you know, a thousand times. And this is the first time I've actually looked at the definition of the word. There you go. Thanks, Pat. Look at that. Sure. Well, you can thank the internet and Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary. Exactly. So that's what it is. And then our special second word of the day is pervasive. And that is an adjective and it means existing or spreading through every part of something. And we're going to talk a little bit later about wh- how that uh, accompanies some of the bail reform laws that we're going to quickly discuss. Would like a uh, synonym to pervasive be like blanketed? There you go. Okay. So this is, so when we speak about this later on, uh, we're talking when, you know what? I'm always jumping ahead. Let's just get into this so you can use it because I kind of already know what's going on and I'm just, yeah. the audience doesn't know what's going on. Blanketed. What would, would another synonym be like, no, I guess that wouldn't be, I was, I don't know what I'm talking about there, but uh, <laughs> pervasive is, is again, existing or spreading through every part of something. And that's going to be one of our uh, words we're going to use and how it applies to come with the, the bail reform law. And then which we're uh, also going to talk to Zeke about and get his opinion because he has some insider knowledge. Zeke is awesome. Ins- yeah. Insider trading, just like those corrupt, man, how about those corrupt senators? The politicians. It's funny because yeah. so we work with a guy who is uh, straight up on the left side of the spectrum. Is it a spectrum yeah. or the yeah, whatever? Uh, straight up on the left side. And it's funny because he'll say, you see all those Republican senators doing insider training. And then another guy comes into the room and says, you hear all those Democratic people doing insider training. And they're just like, it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, they're all corrupt. Well, actually, it was three Republicans and one Democrat, I believe. But I think the Democrat was Diane Feinstein, who's been there like a long time. Yeah, yeah. But that that well, the one Republican. He, uh, oh my has gosh. like a recording of him. Like yes, yeah. He's he's done. He is done and then for. He put out a tweet done saying, for. "Oh, we're good. Yeah. This Corona, yeah. this COVID nineteen yeah. is nothing." Yeah, he's he's done. So anyway, but but they also <laughs> said something about that uh, up until like so many years ago, like five or six years ago like insider trading was allowed amongst Congress and yeah, it's which what the hell on face value. It's what we refer to as shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vote them out. Yeah. Vote them out. Vote them out. So it doesn't out, matter what, what side you lie on. We don't, we don't deal with corruption and people who are immoral and unethical. Talk so, about your honor, yeah. integrity. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Anyway, so uh, we're getting back to uh, bail reform. So again, two-part episode. This is the second episode. And for our second case study, we're talking about Atkins v. Virginia. So Atkins versus Virginia. It's a more recent case. And by recent, I mean like 2002. Uh, it's a, basically a case in which the Supreme Court of the United States ruled 6 to 3, so 6 to 3, that executing people with intellectual disabilities violates the 8th Amendment ban on cruel and unusual punishments. Okay. So background of the case quickly. Uh, midnight, August 16th, 1996. Again, follow along how long it takes to go to the Supreme Court. So this is a 1996 case that went all the way to the Supreme Court in 2002. Wow. So we're talking six years. So 
At midnight, August 16th, 1996, following a day to spend together drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana, 18-year-old Daryl Renard Atkins, again for Atkins versus Virginia, and his accomplice, William Jones, walked to a nearby convenience store where they abducted Eric Nesbitt, an airman from nearby Langley Air Force Base. Unsatisfied with the $60 they found in his wallet, Atkins drove the victim, Nesbitt, in his own vehicle to a nearby ATM and forced him to withdraw a further $200. So right there, we already have robbery, kidnapping, kidnapping, whole host of charges. So in spite of the victim's pleas, the two abductors then drove him to an isolated location where the victim was shot eight times, killing him. I know. So footage of Atkins and Jones, the accomplice, and the vehicle with Nesbitt was captured on the ATM CCTV camera. Criminals aren't smart. Which was of the two men with Nesbitt in the middle and leaning across Jones to withdraw money. And further forensic evidence implicated the two found in Nesbitt's abandoned vehicle. The two suspects were quickly tracked down and arrested. In custody, each man claimed that the other had pulled the trigger. Hey, yeah, he did it. Yep. Atkins' version of the events, however, was found to contain a number of inconsistencies. Doubts concerning Atkins' testimony were strengthened when a cellmate claimed that Atkins had confessed to him that he shot Nesbitt. Again, that's probably one of the jailhouse snitch. Not great evidence, but a deal of life imprisonment was negotiated with Jones hmm. in return for his full testimony against Atkins. Ooh. So the accomplice was offered, hey, we're not going to kill you in exchange for a life term of imprisonment. If you're going to testify against your partner and the jury decided that Jones's version of events was the more coherent and credible and convicted Atkins of capital murder. During the penalty phase of the trial, the defense presented Atkins school records and result in an IQ test carried out by a clinical psychologist. And they confirmed that he had an IQ of 59. Ouch. So not, you know, not, sometimes not I very... make jokes about being room temperature IQ. Well, this is like yeah. less than room temperature. Yeah. IQ. Yeah. On the basis, they proposed that he was mildly and this is in quotes, mildly mentally retarded, and nevertheless he was sentenced to death. On appeal, the Supreme Court of Virginia affirmed the conviction, uh, but reversed the sentence after finding that an improper sentencing verdict form had been used. At retrial, the prosecution proved two aggravating factors under Virginia law. This is a Virginia law that Atkins posed a risk of, quote-unquote, future dangerousness based on a string of previous violent convictions, and that the offense was committed in a vile manner. I would probably agree with that. If we can kidnap a guy, force the money, and then shoot him eight times. Well, and yeah, the future dangerousness is 100% there. Yeah. Plus, if he has prior convictions. The state's witness countered the defense's arguments that Atkins was mentally retarded by stating that Atkins' vocabulary, general knowledge, and behavior suggests that he possessed at least average intelligence. As a result, that sentence was upheld in the state. But, again, goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules 623 that people with intellectual disabilities cannot be executed so so what did they base that upon like uh it was a mental it was a it was a an iq a certain level iq determined so, to be mentally challenged i get so what it it in 12 years later in i'm glad you asked this frank 12 years later in case of hall v florida the u.s supreme court narrowed the discretion under which u.s states can designate an individual convicted of murder as too intellectually incapacitated to be executed. So basically that's going to fall on the states to determine what m- level of intellectual incapacitation they are. That is interesting. Yeah. So it's basically saying that if you have intellectual disabilities and that's going to be determined by the state, which eventually could go back to the Supreme court, but 
based on that, they're going to determine whether or not you'll you fall under the Atkins v. Virginia law and you cannot be executed. Now, it's not all good for Atkins because he's sitting in jail in the rest of his life. Yeah, and deservedly yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's what it comes down to. Some <laughs> people might be aggravated to hear that this guy who is able to function day in and day out by himself without any help is considered to be mentally challenged and therefore cannot be held to the same standard as anybody else who would commit these crimes. But it's not like the guy was just set free. No. He is still sitting in prison. They're just saying that you cannot give them capital punishment or execution when they are determined to be intellectually incompetent. Yeah. So back to that, that again, that goes back to the eighth amendment and cruel and unusual punishment. So how does that apply to bail? Again, we talked about, you cannot set bail that is cruel or unusual punishment. And we go take center stage with the fine state of New York. And what did, what New York did is this, and I'm going to give you a little intro. This is from, the uh, this is from a Fox News article. Um, I'll give you a little background here. So New York's and we're going to talk about the law in here a second. But New York's new bail reform law is being blamed for the release of a dangerous registered sex offender after his arrest for trespassing outside a nursery school. So uh, wow. the, the, the yeah, the man, Mark Nelson, wasn't required to post any bail after you saw a judge on the misdemeanor charge Thursday, angering prosecutors. Uh, Nelson is listed in the New York sex offender registry as a level three offender. He's registered. He was required to register after serving a six year prison sentence for attempting to sodomize two girls ages 10 and 11 oh in 1996 God. and level three sex offenders in the state of New York considered those at the highest risk of repeat offense and a threat to the public. And the registry lists his address as a motel. Yeah, that doesn't work. I know. So the bail reform law, which eliminates the requirement for bail in cases that involve nonviolent crimes, has faced criticism. And then New Windsor police said, so the New Windsor place in New York said, Nelson was lurking in the playground Tuesday when two women and two children emerged from the nursery school next door. The women who were employed by the nursery school told police they retreated their vehicle after Nelson approached them and and attempted to make contact with them. Okay. And online records show that on February 13th, the same guy was arrested on a warrant for failing to verify his address as required for sex offenders. If you go back to uh, our discussion with V a couple episodes ago, that's one of the things they got to do. Register their address. And their car. Yeah. So anybody who's a parent there kind of feels for this. You got two. This guy was trying to sodomize two girls, 10 and 11. So you mind my language, but he's pretty effed up in the head for doing that. And he's now he's going to an nursery school and trespassing there so he goes to the judge because of this new bail reform law no bail and gets out right away yeah and that is why we have a guest from new york's city police who is going to tell us about more of these cases or at least what his feelings are on the bail reform law that new york state has instituted it's just not new york city it's new york state but we just hear so, about it because of New York City so big. Yeah. So the bail reform law was basically designed and went into effect January 1st, where there was they eliminated catch bail for what they deem as, quote unquote, nonviolent offenses and basically gave an entire list of offenses for which bail cannot be instituted. Now, bail would be, you know, basically maybe conditions that they got to appear 
uh, you know, checking with probation, all these other stuff. But there is no more cash bail for a lot of offenses that, you know, in our jurisdiction, you'd have to go see the judge and the judge could potentially set cash bail. Which is which is what keeps a lot of people in jail. Correct. And that's and, so. and that's the kind of thing that we're going off of here is some people, depending on the amount of cash bail, I mean, cannot afford to to make bail. Yeah. But that's also, you know, securing that risk to the public. And, you know, the other facet is to make sure that they appear for trial. But in this case, we're more worried about the danger to the public. So that's why the bail should be up or the bail would be more of a more yeah. cash bail. Right. And the intent of the the intent of the law was was I, Zeke talks about it, but it's that individual who ended up, uh, I think, dying at Khalif, Rikers Island. Khalif Browder. Yeah, correct. And that was the intent. So the intent and this is straight for the New York Times. The new law would mean that the thousands of people in jail awaiting trial would be released, allowing them to return home, safeguard jobs and families and maintain stability and communications decimated by decades of incarceration with bail eliminated for most misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies an estimated 90% of new defendants each year in New York would remain free as their cases move through the courts. So on face value, ah, yeah, that sounds really, really good. We're going to help, you know, make sure that we don't overcrowd the prisons and get these people jobs. Is that really what happens, Frank? No, 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 this is, let's this, be realistic. Here. Yes. <laughs> are, are, are some of these people, uh, being hurt by not being able to go to their job and not being able to provide for their family. Absolutely. But that's not where the problem happens. The problem happens for the people who have no job, who do not support a family, but uh, are getting released and going right back to that criminal element right. and causing problems within our society. So we talked about, again, pervasive, okay? While New New and New York's bail reform law kind of mimics other states. While New Jersey, California, Illinois, and other states have limited the use of bail, New York is one of the few states to abolish bail for many crimes without also giving state judges the discretion to consider whether a person poses a threat to public safety and deciding whether to hold them. Okay. So that's the big change. Yeah. Yes. The other states basically created a, a bail reform law kind of similar to that with the idea of you know, not overcrowding the prisons, keeping people out, trying to get maintained jobs. But it's the other, they still allowed the judge's discretion to set bail when they deem a person is, you know, dangerous, you know, the level of dangerousness. And New York basically eliminated that and it's kind of had its rampant effects. Right. And some people have their own thoughts and feelings about discretion for officers or judges or um, prosecutors. And this is where you see the discretion is needed. If you take away the discretion, it you can't, you can't just blanket the whole system in a certain rule because it doesn't, it doesn't apply to everybody. Everybody has their own unique situation and that's what the yeah. bail was set up to be used by. So for. yeah, we're, we're going to get the opinion of Zeke who's uh, with NYPD, but uh, uh, this is from the, New York City Police Commissioner, Commissioner Shea, is it Dur- Dermot? D-E-R-M-O-T? I have no idea how to pronounce his first name. <laughs> I'm guessing anyway, Shea. Yeah, he's, he's uh, so, so far I like, I, I, I kind of like what he's been doing, but he's pretty vocal on this, and this is his quote in a radio interview. Uh, when you have individuals that are standing before a judge and immediately being released, and essentially everyone in the room knows that this person is a danger to the community, I think we need to look at the system and make sure the judges can make common sense decisions. 
Right. I mean, that's the police commissioner right. saying this yeah. probably wasn't that great of a decision. Yeah. And Which there means are a other lot. quotes. Yeah. Other quotes are some states like New Jersey that have abolished or curtailed the use of cash bail, monetary bail, if you remember, have established a system for assessing the risk that a defendant might commit another crime and allow judges to hold people to protect public safety. But New York simply eliminated bail for most nonviolent crimes. And this is from uh, David Hoover, the district attorney in Orange County and president of the District Attorneys Association of New York. And he quotes, district attorneys do not believe in general that people should be held in jail because they can't afford to get out. But people who have done bad things and are repeat offenders will be getting out. OK, again, we talked about this harps on the first episode where judges, they have to have some discretion in setting bail and we, we wholeheartedly agree. Unfortunately, the onus is on them when they make a decision to let somebody out and they go out and commit another crime. That's why it is a tough job. But you have to assess that risk. OK, so when you involve the legislature and cre- just creating an overly pervasive law, so a blanket law that basically says, oh, yeah, well, th- these people should not be in jail because of this, this and this. Well, you're not taking into into. You're not taking individual individualistic factors into setting a person's bail. Hey, I think it means a, a lot to have a leader like the police commissioner of the NYPD to come out and say that he does not agree with this because, hey, we all know his is a political position. He is appointed to that position by whomever, but it's a bunch of, you know, backdoor handshakes and everything to get to right. that position. I mean, not that he doesn't deserve it or maybe, you know, as his police, I, you know, his career, I don't know what it was like, but with that intense political position, him coming out and speaking against the legislature on that, you know, that it must be yeah. a bad decision. Again, does it become the legislature's decision to take discretion away from those who act accordingly? Well, it happened. I don't think so. You know what I mean? Shouldn't be. You're being, you're being overly pervasive. You can't. Yeah, we're going to create this blanket law that obviously people are going to fall through the cracks. And unfortunately, when you have and it's not and I, I kind of minimize that when I say that falling through the cracks. But when you have a, a person that has a violent history, but because their new charge may not meet the requirements of a of uh, a monetary bail, they're just going to be released. And that just does not benefit us as a society. And and I don't know about you, Frank, but it's almost like, again, and we can discuss this, too. It's almost like the overreaching, overarching effect of the marijuana uh, stigma and the stigma that, you know, there are so many people being held and uh, held in, in jail for like minor offenses. But you and I both know that a lot of people with minor offenses are getting ROR bail or getting low bail to get out. It's not like. Like we're just throwing everybody in jail with high amounts of cash bail. No, it's not the case. Yeah, not even close. Vote your so. legislature out. <laughs> Vote them out. Uh, you might want to do that for the freaking four senators that are corrupt. Man, that pisses me off. Well, that's a shame because, again, they're held to a standard where yeah. they're supposed to be uh... – you know, righteous in their decisions and, yeah. and representing the people. And here there are backdoor and people. Right. It doesn't matter what side of your eye are on being immoral and unethical, but so. Okay. Well, I guess it's a time in our show that we're going to move into the interview with Zeke. Uh, yeah. I think you'll enjoy it.
We hope you enjoy his perspective because he has some insider trading knowledge. Yes, he's got inside knowledge. So for that episode, keep out, keep on rocking. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do the. <laughs> <laughs> What's the hand thing called? The what? The Oh, my wife hates that. So she she goes when I, I would say like I would so this is two. You, I know the audience. You can't see this, but I'm putting out my uh, index and my pinky and I'd be like two. And my wife's like, why don't you do the peace sign? Like the, the middle and the two. I said, no, it's two. She's like, why do you do that? I said, it's from baseball. And she goes, what does that have to mean with it? Well, for those of you who played baseball, understand that when you put up two, you're signifying two outs to remind people there's two outs. But you put up two like this with your index and your pinky because the person in the outfield is at a distance away. So you want to make sure that they can see two. It's easier to see two like this than two like this. Never knew that either. There you go. Dropping some knowledge on you, all you baseball fans out there. I know you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, be on the lookout for our interview with Zeke. It's it's a good one. Really good one. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Elio Sideshow. I'm uh, Pat here with my buddy Frank. Say hi, Frank. Hey, hey how's it going, everybody? And we have a uh, special guest with us here today, uh, Zeke. Can you say hi, Zeke? Hey, what's going on? What's hey. going on? Zeke is a 14-year veteran with the NYPD, and we're going to be asking him some questions related to a previous episode about bail but you know first of all we do that we want to get a little background um what his interaction is with the new bail reform law that's become a hot topic as far as uh the news news wise in new york and what could actually migrate to other areas uh and information that maybe needed to be adjusted or tweaked before this becomes kind of a nationwide thing so uh, i i guess zeke it's uh, the the first question is um you're you've been a police officer 14 years, correct? Correct, correct. And in what formats, jobs? I mean, obviously, you probably started as a, like a regular patrol officer, but what in what uh, avenues or per, different units have you been involved with? Well, I, I started out uh, with Operation Impact, uh, which made the news uh, a bunch of times. Uh, the, the object of Operation Impact was to, was on paper to get us to learn the job. In reality, it was just to write summonses to as many people as you could so <laughs> it, you know it, it kind of it, you know you're either summonsing people or you're arresting them uh there was no real positive interaction there was no real community policing um so you know you had your discretion kind of taken away uh nypd has done away with that thankfully you know you you know the job has become a little bit more human that much i can say i do agree with um but i, I did that for two years i want to say um, I did undercover in Vice for a while, uh, which was which was interesting because you know you're basically just going into into a lot of uh, sex shops. You're going into uh, you know strip clubs. You're going into the places where it basically just vice. You know you're dealing with a lot of gambling. Yeah. Um, that taught me a different aspect of the job where I was allowed to almost see the other side of of policing. You know, it's like a, a a dark underbelly where you kind of have to crawl in the mud with the rest of the pigs, you know? Wow. Not, not, well, not pigs talking about cops. So yeah. Pigs, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, so yeah. To speak. yeah. That's interesting. But, uh, but so, um, it allowed me to, to, to see the job differently. And then um, I actually went tactical for a while. I, I joined a strategic response group. Um, 
you know, learned a whole lot of uh, things about entering into a hostile in situation, dealing with active shooters, dealing with uh, large crowds and how to, you know, control and calm crowds. And uh, currently I'm at uh, Special Victims. Wow. So uh, what kind of role do you play right now then? I'm actually, I got, well, I got, I got promoted. Uh, I'm actually a sergeant right now in Special Victims. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like the TV show and it's not like the TV show at the same time. <laughs> you know, you know, you say Special Victims and everybody goes, oh yeah, I love that show. You know, um, there are some aspects of, of the TV show that are the same. Uh, some of the investigations we do, some of the uh, interactions we have, um, it's not as clear cut as it is on TV. On TV, yeah. you know, they, they have, you know, you, you ask the guy, okay, what did he look like? And they give you a very detailed explanation. Right. Um, in real life, you know, okay, what did he look like? Well, you know, it was a man. Yeah. And that's it. You yeah. Know? And then they're able to do everything in an hour on TV. Oh yeah, of course. You know, on TV, you know, I think I, I I watched half of an episode one time where they were looking for a specific rat in New York City, and they were actually able to find this rat. <laughs> and I think I said out loud that that'll yeah. never happen. That mm-hmm. that would never. Happen, you know. Uh, so that going back to your Operation Impact, so that was kind of uh, because we kind of I feel like we did something similar where it was uh, like a they called it like a neighborhood enforcement unit, like a community policing unit, but really it was a zero discretion. I want everybody arrested for everything, and we're going to decrease crime that way. Is that kind of what you're you're talking about there? That actually might be a better description than I gave it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Yeah, that's it. It sounded almost exactly what we did, and and Pat and I did that for a couple of years, and uh, and you know it was a fun time, I gotta say, but but it was, uh, but we definitely weren't going the community yeah, policing definitely. or the uh, we didn't we had a lot of community contacts, and and I really feel like we did help out the community in certain ways, but it was portrayed a little bit different than what it actually was. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, on, on paper, it was, you know, broken windows policy where you were yeah. supposed to we were supposed to catch crime before it began. Right. In, in reality, it was just we were we were just a massive summons enforcement unit. Wow. And I mean, it, it, like it got to the point where, you know, you were just looking for someone to summons just so that you could say you did something for the night, which, you know, me, me personally, I don't agree with. But, you know, it, it, it's yeah, almost well, like a you know it's almost like a, a broken clock is right twice a day and and with this current administration they did a lot to get rid of uh, Operation Impact and it's one of the things I agree with. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, again, I, th- I think we have a v- bunch of similarities there because uh, we our supervisor of that unit now. I don't know how big was that unit that you're talking about. Operation Impact. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about thousands of cops. Wow. I mean, every every, <laughs> yeah. every over over the course of about five maybe four or five years or so you're talking about every rookie cop that came out of the academy so wow you know you're talking thousands of cops to be replenished by another couple thousand what 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 administration was that during that time that was under bloomberg and uh mayor bloomberg and uh police commissioner kelly okay okay all right and so now i mean it it seems like like you said it's it's shifted somewhat for the good and maybe somewhat not as the good, but I mean, I'm sure you guys are well aware, but what's, what's going on with this crazy bail reform law, man. Okay. The bail reform law was supposed to 
I guess, make the playing field more level for, for people that have committed crimes. Uh, it, it came about, there was a gentleman, Khalif Browder, who sat in Rikers for about two years. Right, I read that. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a crime he didn't, he happened to not commit. But because he couldn't afford bail, he stayed, I think that's, I think the story is because he couldn't afford bail, uh, he stayed at Rikers and wound up, I think, killing himself. He either killed himself oh, wow. or got killed. Yeah, but, um, but they're they're trying to make sure cases like that don't happen again. The problem with what they're doing with bail reform, though, is that it's almost like they're cutting too wide of a swath for criminals to be able to get back on the streets. The one that actually do deserve to be in jail. Um, you know, like right now we're dealing with, especially in in, in a more investigative branch of policing, we're dealing with district attorneys that really don't want to prosecute cases anymore, you know, unless you're giving them a slam dunk case where they really don't have to work that hard to fight for for guilt or, or to fight to prove the person guilty. You know, they're, they're either making plea deals or they're just flat out dropping the case. It's just it's it's causing a backlog. And then the cases that actually do get get prosecuted you know, the, the criminal is right back out. And they're, they're actually saying to us now, you know, listen, we'll see you guys soon. I mean, even for like a serious crime, they're telling you, we'll see you right back soon. That's, yeah. That's insane. They're, they're, and, and sure. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, we'll see him in a day or two. That's in, in the same exact spot where we arrest them. That's that's so crazy. Go, going back to like uh, when all this happened. So you're, you're in your opinion, there needed to be some reform to this the bail, but you're saying that they went too far, and now, now we have more problems or new problems because of it. Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you want to take a look at objectively making things more fair for people, you know, to be to be able to afford bail or to be able to plead their case or to be able to prove their innocence. That's fine, but it has to be a more educated approach to it. You can't just de- almost, you know, decriminalize everything, right? And say, okay, this is how it's going to happen, and then watch as crime goes up, and then and then try to blame it on on propaganda, or try to blame it on the press, or try to say that uh, uh, these are all cherry pick cases. No, you know, there's there's bona fide proof that crime is going up, and there's bona fide proof that crime is going up because of bail reform. Wow. You know, when, you're, when you're letting unrepentant criminals back out in the street and they know they're going to be let back out and they're almost gaming the system now. I mean, where where is the deterrent to crime? So how did you did you as officers at NYPD know that this was coming down the pike before it before it hit the media and that, you know, the rest of the nation found out about it? Oh, we knew. Yeah, we knew. I mean, it was it was already, you know, anyone that's worked in the Bronx, um, they already started they they declined prosecution on a lot of cases in the wow. Bronx. Um Brooklyn was starting to do it. It was coming down the pipe. Uh que- in Queens, uh, you know, I happen to work in Queens. Uh we have a new district attorney and, and on her transition team she's got Sean Bell's uh uh fiance, wife, uh whatever, you know, whoever she was at the time. Um and and she herself admitted that she wants to bring about sweeping changes. So uh, we knew it was coming. We just didn't know it was coming to this degree. Yeah. Now, how is that? So, and you said too that it kind of affected your prosecutors in the sense of what they want to prosecute and what they don't want to prosecute. 
Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we're having charges drop down to, to plea deals. We're having charges, uh, you know, what we call DP, uh, decline prosecution. Yeah. Um, unless it's a slam dunk case, you know, and, and the thing is, I'm, I don't really blame them. I'm, I'm not trying to say that they're not doing their job or they're being lazy or whatever. I'm, I'm definitely not trying to blame the, the district attorneys because their job is, is 10 times harder now. You know, why, why go through the work to try to put someone behind bars when you know they're just going to get right back out? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing that uh, that probably affected the, the people you work with, the officers on the street, how they want to do business now, too, because they know that stuff's going to be DP'd and stuff's and, you know, people are going to be right back out on the street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as a supervisor, are you concerned? I mean, how has it affected morale as far as? You know, you go through this case, you do all this work, and then you realize that, especially, I guess, in specifically in SVU, that the, they don't deem the case prosecutable. Um, it's it's really just, uh, I mean, we're still out here doing right. our jobs. We're still out here trying to do the best we can. Um, as far as morale goes, I, you know, I, I think uh, more the patrol cops are trying to figure out what they're trying to do you know what, what's what's going on what's happening here what's you know why why are we why are we working this hard yeah so it, when i was doing research first in in the specifics so i guess new york created this law you're right in reference to that uh, individual that was stuck at you know rikers island and i i agree with you and i agree with them that hey you know we maybe we need to make some changes here but i it's almost perceived to me that they went so far that they kind of undermined what they were actually doing. And it's in, they tried to mimic, I guess, some bail reform laws in New Jersey and Illinois, but they took out the discretion from the judges as far as labeling, and I, I quote, like dangerousness of a person. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but people are getting out on like, like, like serial burglars are getting out with like no bail. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it, it sounds, sounds okay. correct. Sounds, sounds, sounds correct. Uh, so, yeah. And, and it's actually also to the point where these, uh, serial burglars now can, can go back to the scene of the crime hypothetically and, and almost re-victimize the person who they, uh, who they burglarized. That's crazy. So the, and yeah. the idea, I guess, is that they eliminated cash bail and, are, are, is there any type of like monitoring that these people are on or something like that after they've seen the judge? Not, not really. I mean, <laughs> the only thing Mayor de Blasio has said was that he's, you know, if, if you come back for your, your bail hearing, he'll give you free Mets tickets. <laughs> oh my which, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, which, 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 which is a punchline right now amongst cops, you know? Like, well, you know. why now? Why wouldn't he say Yankees? I, I don't know. Maybe Yankees, you know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Mets are maybe the Mets are cheaper. Who knows? No. <laughs> so the, the because I what now what was that talk about that he they were handing out like gift cards or something like is that like the same thing to like appear for court or what was that they were handing out? Yeah, I guess they're they're trying to entice you to get back to uh, your hearing by giving you gift cards or. Or you know, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts gift cards. I think they were they were talking about. Um, yeah, it's 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 insane. Like you know, here's here's a deterrent. You won't go to jail. You know, who, yeah, that's what that? it's supposed to be. 
Right, yeah. Uh, show up for all your hearings. Yeah, that's that's, that's crazy. So, like, well, what what? I mean, uh, if you're familiar a little bit, what kind of crimes are you? Are they still getting like? I guess cash bail as far as I mean, I would say I'd say like homicide and stuff like that. But are we only talking like violent felonies? Is that the only thing that they're really getting cash bail on? I think so. I, I think unless you you're committing a violent felony. Oh, uh, you know, you, 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 you're back like, out. I mean, the, I, th- I think the list, the, the list of things that you can now be released on, I think it was like three pages long, three or four pages long. And, the, and so and that's I mean, the one where they don't have discretion. Is that right? I mean, they have to. Re- yeah, that's the one where the judge has to, has, you know, has to release you. And, and, but every, everything I'm reading is saying that the, the judges and even the district attorneys have come out and said that this law has kind of hampered them and taken away their their discretion on what they can look at for each offender. So, I, I mean, the, the problem in my opinion becomes we talked about this judges have the ultimate discretion depending on bail. And if they see someone who is, you know, not necessarily in their terms violent, but has been committing acts again and again and again, and they feel that this individual can go right back out and do the same thing that they're not allowed to give them bail. Yeah, I think even even the judges now like have to bend the knee to this law and and, and release someone that they know uh, shouldn't be out there. That's insane, but and, and and I think like even before the uh, bail reform laws took place, uh, there were there were different rallies by law enforcement, you know, asking the governor and and uh, the state assembly to please rethink this. You know, this, this is not going to be good. This is you know this is this is going to be disastrous. Um, and unfortunately, we've been proven correct. So, have you heard much from the 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 people that you work for? You know, like your civilians, you know, population. Have they spoke to you that that, that they're dissatisfied with this, or have you heard? You know, is the the civilian population, uh, you know, upset about this, or is it kind of because what we're seeing, you know. Uh, a different part of the, you know, not being in New York City, what we're seeing is that it's just not good and, you know, people are being let out and committing more crimes. Uh, and, you know, that seems to be like around our area that, you know, we, we don't want this. We, we, we think that this is a little too much as far as bail reform goes. But what is what has the civilians in your area been talking about? Um, well, there was a there was a town hall meeting where uh de Blasio got roasted by a couple of people saying that uh, uh, this bail reform law is, isn't all that great. Um, and he was kind of, from what I could see, he was kind of dismissive about it. Um, but then, you know, our, our commissioner came out and provided proof that said that this bail reform law is driving up crime and crime is higher. Um, you know, felonies are up, you know, assaults are up. Um, there's, there's no simpler way to put it you know crime is up and crime is it's not it's not early 90s crack era uh numbers yet but i mean could it go back there who knows uh but this this bail reform law is not the answer to making people feel safe that's that's interesting i mean you said that your your commissioner is actually sounds like kind of against it oh no our, our commissioner is actually is is against it he's he's against the bail reform law but uh, it's 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 going to take changes on a statewide level because right. this actually affects the whole state. 
I mean, it affects New York City. There's, you know, the, the density of the population is in New York City, but uh, this, this is this is a state law. This is a statewide law. Even in uh, Nassau and Suffolk County, they're they're feeling it as well. Yeah, I guess they're just not getting the media attention that you are. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, the density of the population is in New York City, so you know you're dealing with uh, 30 million people. Yeah. So I mean, you know. That, that that's that's where the bulk of the population so, is so when you go to arrest somebody and i'm not as familiar with that the process but when they go in front of the judge at the uh, initial i guess it would be arraignment do that are they then like what happens so the, does the judge even speak to them still even if they can't set bail or how's that occur uh that i'm not sure of um I mean, we once once we bring yeah. a person down to central booking, uh, Department of Corrections takes okay. control of them after that. So right. we're actually not in the courtroom. So when they get there. Not much changes as far as the uh, the, the officer that's taking them in on the on the crime. No, we we still take them in. We still yep. drop them off. Um, although, like just like I said, you know, we'll see them two days later. Yeah, in the same corner. <laughs> Well, we we uh, we talked about some of the negatives here, but I mean, do you see some anything positive about this so far? I can't see that I do. I mean, it's 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 almost like a throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of situation. You know, I get that they're trying to make change. I get that they're trying to uh, make things better. I don't think this is the way to do it, though. And then I guess has the word gone around to the people that are your regular arrestees that they kind of know what's going on as far as the criminal element? Do they know about all these changes too? So they know that they're just going to be oh, right they, out? Oh, they know. Yeah, they know. <laughs> they, they, they are very well versed uh, just uh, from people that have been arrested before that come back and tell them stories or they themselves have been arrested and they know the, the process by now. Um, yeah, they, they know. They're familiar. Oh. Matter of fact, sometimes they, they educate us on what happens. So, yeah. I mean, they, they know. I, I, I mean, my, my concern is just like when you talk about the corrections aspect is like how, how, how are we following up with these people to ensure that they're re- reporting for court? I mean, what is there any way? Like what do they have? They just gather their information and like contact them or how does that work? I, well, if they don't show up for court, okay. uh, a bench warrant okay. is issued for their arrest. The problem with that is that we have to literally like run into them for okay. a crime again. You know what I mean? So, so if they go home and they hang out at home for a while, and they miss their court date. There, there really is no okay. and then, consequence. But if you, you know, if they lay low for a while, they you know, if they lay low for a while. So you know, if you end up missing court and you get picked up on the warrant, are you still subject to these rules? Like, are can you then be put in? Jail potentially as a as a violation of bail, or is it a pot, or are they still let out? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I haven't heard of anyone really? actually made it that far. Uh, the only people I've heard about are the ones that they get right back out and they commit okay. crimes all over again. It, it just for me, it's like well, you, you go out, you see this law, you, I, I, and I I agree with you ideologically. I think they're the effort wise to maybe mitigate some of the issues such as you know speedy trial you know 
don't have somebody in locked up in Rikers Island for a crime they didn't commit for a long time. I I, I get that. It's just the what we discussed is bail is to ensure that a the person appears for court and b you know there's no public safety there the the public safety element to it is from the judge and by creating this law you've kind of like just taken zero discretion away and now we got this continually continual uh, offenders out there committing the same crimes over and over again and you and I know and and Frank knows is the people that are out there you know the the druggies the the sale the drug sale they're just going to keep doing it over and over again and you know especially drug users that leads to crimes as thefts burglaries robberies and all that kind of stuff yeah i mean it's it's you know the the deterrent to stay out of jail isn't there anymore so i mean that that's why you know you're you're emboldening people that are that aren't on the right side of the law and we we're just we're seeing it more and more every day yeah uh all right well frank that's all i have yeah well you know um i was kind of going through your instagram and we can cut this out if we want to zeke but are you an eagles fan i'm an eagles fan yes i am (laughs) yes i am i'm a i've been eagles fan since i was 12 years old Hmm. yeah geez you know i i I probably should have told you that i was a dallas fan before we did this (laughs) Oh no! I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's an interview over. No more. <laughs> uh, no. Well, the uh, uh, well, you know, we thank that you thankful for that you came on here. And uh, but I'm, I want to start doing this thing where um, we kind of have like a as we interview some other guests that come on the show, uh, we want to see if there's anything that you have to say for the up and coming patrol officer or the up and or anything you want to say to, to the civilians that are listening, because this, this podcast is more for the civilians who don't know what police do and, um, and don't know why we do it. And sometimes with the negative media attention that they, we kind of get thrown into a bad light when really, you know, we're just doing our job and they just don't know. But, uh, but we have a we have a following of of officers too who listen to this. So, I mean, is there anything that you want to say, or is there any advice that you want to give to the up and coming officer, or anything that you want the civilians to know? Yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, when you, when you have to, the, the overwhelming majority of things I see <clears throat> online that are critical of cops is you know when you have to arrest someone that does not want to be arrested. It's not going to be pretty. It's not, you know, this isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't Mayfair where you can just put your hand on someone's shoulder and they're yep. going to come with you. It's go- it, it looks ugly. It's going to look ugly. Um, and there's no, there's no nice way to bring someone under control that is, is not looking to get arrested. You know, he's, if they're combative and they want to fight, you know, you're going to have to be prepared to go in there and get your hands dirty. And to just to any new officers that might be listening or to any civilians, just, you know, don't be afraid to do your job. If you know you're right, if you know within your heart that you're right, uh, don't be afraid to do your job. And just, you know, watch watch your back. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you have backup if you need it. Don't, don't try to be a hero. And uh, for any civilians that are listening, that support us, you know, through good, through bad, uh, just thank you. Thank you for your support. It means so much during this time. 
And um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you hit on the head with the arrest where a knockdown drag out fight with somebody who doesn't want to be arrested. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred pound female or, you know, a 300 pound, you know, bodybuilder. Uh, They don't want to be arrested. It is going to be an ugly fight to get them under control and under arrest. And I think some people have a hard time realizing that because we've had a couple incidents over the years where, an officer, again, tries to arrest this 110 pounds and or so they're punching or they're using whatever to get this person under control. And, you know, people are thinking that they're going uh, a little too hard. But really, if they were put in that situation, sometimes it's not as easy as it looks to get somebody under control. Right. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, hey, listen, I, I weigh 250 pounds. I, you know, I do actively bodybuild and, uh, you know, trying to arrest someone that's Half yeah. my size. If they don't want to be arrested, it's hard. It can be hard. Yeah, you know, like I, I see a lot of times in the you know in, in comments on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, oh, how many cops does it take to arrest? You know, she, you know, she's a 120 pound girl. How many cops does it take to arrest her? Well, you know, <laughs> tell you what, why don't you get three right? of your friends and you try yeah. to pull her arms behind her back? You know. And, and see see how much yeah, energy you're spending by like doing five minutes. Well, yeah. Well, hey yeah. Zeke, we thoroughly appreciate you joining our show and our, our podcast and your insight into this law because you know we're viewing it from the outside and you gave some in- details as far as what's going on here and specifically in New York and how you guys are getting affected by this. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, you know. I do endorse change for the better. Just I just yeah. I cannot endorse this. All right. All right. Well, thanks again, and uh, thank you for everybody out there listening. If you yep. uh, have any comments, or uh, don't be afraid to message us on our Instagram account. We have Twitter and email, so don't be afraid to hit us up. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.